0: For the first letter to Timothy, chapter 6. If you're visiting with us, we have been working our way through Paul's letter to Timothy. If you're using the Pew Bibles, you can find that on page 993. We are in chapter 6, our focus will be on verses 6 to 12. Children, here are your questions for this morning. First, what did you bring with you when you were born into the world? Two, what will you take with you when it comes time for you to leave this world? Three, why is it important to thank God for the food, drinks, clothes, and homes that you have? 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, this is the word of God. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we do praise you for your word, and we thank you that you have provided for us all that we need to know to glorify you and to live our lives for you. We pray as we have read this passage and as you've already spoken to us through, simply through the reading of your word, we pray now that you administer to us through the preaching of your word. And so we pray that you would bless this message, that you would sanctify the words from the pulpit and use them in our lives. So send your spirit in a special way to help the preacher and to help all of us who will hear today. We come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Paul has been instructing Timothy on how to manage the church in Ephesus. That's one of the main themes in this letter. There are many other things in the letter, but he's also reminding Timothy throughout that he needs to maintain godly character himself he needs to maintain godly character himself the immediate context the immediate setting of our passage this morning has to do with false teachers and heretics that Paul is concerned are going to affect the church the trouble that false teachers can cause if they're not dealt with It appears that some in that category would like to use their peddling of the gospel for their own personal financial gain, others using religion, you might say, to increase their financial status. Now, as for pastors, Paul is not saying that preachers shouldn't get paid. In fact, earlier on, he made a case for that very thing. But what he's getting at is this issue of of priority and motive. And he's especially concerned when pastors and preachers use their ministries as a means of their own financial wealth. You probably are as perplexed as I am about how many health and wealth and prosperity preachers are out there that are so very popular. And, and they're lining their own pockets by money from their people that they're so-called preaching to, but they're also making promises of wealth to people that they can't keep and that the people will probably never experience. So you see the danger of it in the area of ministry. But the message here, the principle here is for everyone, is for all of us. Warning of the danger of falling into a trap where money, in essence, becomes our focus, where financial gain or material gain becomes our focus. Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Someone in our church, with reference to this very statement, asked this question who can achieve? that combination? Who can achieve that combination of godliness and contentment? They went on to say, it's a fight because it's a battle for our hearts, our minds, and our very souls. I came up with this formula. If we look at the different components, and we understand them this way, I I understand godliness not necessarily to mean a, a measure of morality, But the whole package deal of our devotion to religion here specifically obviously the christian faith so that's what the godliness referred to here is contentment is is a mind at peace and a heart that's satisfied and a soul that's at rest the formula is this that if you have godliness without contentment that's not really godliness because you have an issue with God and the way that he has provided for you and the situation of your life. So godliness without contentment is not godliness after all. Contentment without godliness is great danger because we can easily become complacent about the more important things. The lasting things. And then the absence of both, the absence of godliness and the absence of contentment is just downright misery. But the presence of both is deep satisfaction. There's something of an irony here because if you know someone like that who is thoroughly satisfied, both with the relationship with the Lord and their lot in life, it's easy to covet them. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain, great gain being that blessing of, of assurance in this life and that great hope for the next. Paul could speak with both authority and experience. When he reflects on his life and the trials that he's been through, he says in Philippians 4, 12-13, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's that so often misquoted, misapplied verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul found his strength and his satisfaction, his contentment in the Lord. He could deal with all of those things because God strengthened him. Well, again, the inspired words that Paul writes to Timothy and to the church there apply to us as well Uh, Paul uses what I call material logic material logic verse 7 for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world it's so very simple so very simple what did you bring with you upon entry look back and think about when you were born probably don't remember much. I often think of a man when I was in a situation where we were supposed to give the place of our birth and something about our lives. And he started by saying, well, I was born in a hospital, mostly because that's where my mother was at the time. We might not remember much about our birth, but I can tell you this about my birth, and I can tell you this about your birth. You didn't bring anything with you. You came naked into this world. And so we start with nothing. Unfortunately, we do come into this world with something called total depravity. We are born in sin. And that should immediately make us realize that our number one need, above and beyond everything else in this world, is not what we eat, and not what we drink, and not what we wear, not what we have, not the stuff we can accumulate, but the number one need we have is to have that sin issue dealt with. And God in his grace deals with that by sending his son. There's nothing we can do about the way that we've been brought into the world with nothing. But the issue that we all deal with is that in between, that's where the problem comes from. We ask, what is life all about? We have material needs. Certainly, certainly we need to care for those needs. We need to work. We need to provide. The level of that certainly means different things in different cultures. Certainly in America, that means one thing. and. In other places where there's poverty, that means another. What does it mean to have the things and the amount of money you need to survive on? And so there's there's nothing wrong with working hard to provide what we need. In fact, we have to. But the question is, where do our passions, our pursuits, and our priorities lie? Scripture in many different places teaches us that that those things can get out of whack. Our passions can be misguided towards things of this earth. Our pursuits can be consumed with pursuing material things. Our priority can be what we can get out of this life. It can get out of whack. And Paul is saying you need to discipline yourself. You need to keep those things in check. Again, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with hard work and blessings of a good income, financial gain. We do and have stuff. It's good to leave an inheritance if that's at all possible. But if those things are out of whack and become our gods, then something is dreadfully wrong. There's a young man that I have never met Well, I can say in some ways I've met him numerous times, but I can never get him off my mind. And I met him where I want you to meet him, and I'm sure you've met him before, in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. Jesus is in the throes of his very public ministry at this point. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Sometimes we leave the story there. But we need to see what happens next. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, Only with difficulty will will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. What was the question? What was the great concern that this young man, and I'm sure everybody listening, had on their minds? How do you inherit the kingdom of heaven? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus' response gets to the core of this young man's issue certainly in the eyes of the world and definitely in the eyes of himself he was a righteous man he had kept the commandments and so his number one problem was that he thought he was righteous in and of himself but in the end he wasn't but there was something else in his life and it would be seen i think appropriately as a god in his life and that was his money and his comfort now jesus isn't here calling people to lives of poverty What I believe Jesus is doing here is saying, if you have any God before you, that God must be taken away before you can inherit eternal life. You see, the rich young ruler needed two things. He needed true righteousness that we learn in scripture only comes from Christ. And he needed to get rid of a God that was controlling his life and providing him with a comfort that kept him from his acknowledging his utter dependence upon the grace of God for his life. But why were the people so amazed? You see, they were confused about the truth behind true righteousness and the need for grace. They were also confused, apparently... With the idea that material blessing had something to do with standing before God. Surely God provides all that we have. But in this case, well. if this righteous man who's wealthy can't be saved, who can be saved? There's definitely no hope for sinners and those in poverty. But Jesus says, not true. In any case, rich or poor... It's impossible for man to save himself. But all things are possible, and yea and amen, we might say, in Christ Jesus. And so the first thing needs to be satisfied for our first contentment, a satisfied soul. To be made right with our creator. To trust in the sufficiency of the Redeemer for our salvation. To be mindful of the value of life now and enjoy life now. But in doing so, living under the lordship of the Savior. Everything under Christ. And to be thankful for every little thing we have. And to never forget that this is not it. This is not it. This life is not all that there is. And so we need to keep our stuff, we might say, in perspective. We might say to ourselves, what more could we want if we have Jesus? But let's face it, we still struggle. We still struggle with coveting, and we still struggle with envy, and we still struggle with wanting more and more of this and more of that. Maybe not all of us, but many of us do. But it's all that in between in our life from our entry and all that in between that must be submitted to Christ. Because in the end, at the exit, this might seem obvious as the entry, but we don't take it with us. Many people don't live that way. Proverbs eleven four says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. But righteousness delivers from death. Wow. John D. Rockefeller, the founder of Standard Oil Company, I know this has probably been used many times. John D. Rockefeller, founder of Standard Oil Company, the first billionaire in the United States, once the richest man on earth, was asked by a reporter, How much money is enough? And Rockefeller replied, just a little bit more. When he died, a reporter asked his aide, how much did Rockefeller leave behind? And his aide very wisely said, all of it. Job got it. Job got it, and I'm sure that Paul is looking back at Job. Job lost everything. Things kept getting worse. Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Do you know people like that? I do. I have heard many testimonies of godly people who are passing into eternity that have an amazing peace. I have never heard any one of them request to take anything with them except for family members. And they know that's only by the grace of God through faith in Christ. I got a beautiful call just yesterday from a husband whose wife is near to going home. And the conversation was peppered with words like content and peace and even joy. That's someone who knows that they can leave all this behind. It is hard to let go of stuff. It's hard to let go of life. For the sake of time and because I want to build on this so much more, speaking of advertisements, I'll have to finish next week. Because this situation, this issue is so critical for all of us even the godliest of the godly among us to make sure that we're content first content that we truly are reconciled to our creator god but second that we're living our lives in contentment not clinging to the things of this world and so the advertisement is this i don't mean to embarrass myself but you have to come back next week but we'll be happy to see you let's pray Almighty God, you are so good to us. We don't even begin to get that. We can't even begin to truly grasp how good you are to us. When we think of the fact that we are so undeserving of salvation and yet through Jesus Christ you've given us the riches of heaven, That Christ paid a debt that we could not pay off should we spend an eternity of good deeds and good works and all the things that we might imagine might win your favor. We know that through Christ and through Christ alone, that debt has been fully paid. You've given us wonderful satisfaction in this life, knowing that we've been reconciled to you. Lord, you've given us peace in our hearts, satisfied minds. You've given our souls rest in you, and we praise you for those tremendous riches only given through your grace and through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, help us, we pray, to be thankful, to be content. Lord, that we would live our lives with great joy in whatever condition we might find ourselves. We know that we need your grace for that. We know that we need your help. We know that you need, we need the Holy Spirit to help us to process these things. But all in all, Lord, we pray that we would know the secret of true contentment. We know that only you can provide that for us. We come to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen.